Welcome back to Composer Quest. I'm your host in Minneapolis, Charlie McCarran, and in this show I talk with composers, songwriters, producers, and scientists to bring you musical inspiration and practical composing tips. Today's episode is all about electronic dance music, or EDM if you're cool, and I talk with Sam Mantla, creator of the production blog and podcast EDM Prod. Sam shares some great advice for new producers, including how to conquer writer's block. If you're a musician or producer or anything, uh, you need to kind of let go of this idea of inspiration because professionals don't place value on it. If you're getting paid to make music, you're going to do it uh, whether you feel like it or not. Sam also shares his thoughts on some EDM production techniques, including pitch sweeps. A lot of producers will make, say, a 16, 8 or 16-bar riser that goes up in pitch, typically up in octave or two, up 24 semitones or 12. But what's interesting is that going up 24 semitones instead of 12 doesn't necessarily add more tension. Before we get into my talk with Sam, I have a very special announcement. Hi everybody, this is Wayne Newton, and I want you to know you're listening to Charlie, and there's nobody that knows more about what you want to hear than this man right here. Got my vote. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, that's fun. Yes, you heard that correctly. I met Mr. Las Vegas himself, Wayne Newton, on Monday. As I may have mentioned before, I do freelance work for 3M, and occasionally they send me to fun places like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame or Times Square. On Monday, 3M sent me out to Wayne's ranch to record an interview with him about the 3M window film he put on his museum windows. He was such a friendly guy, I had to ask him to say hi to my Composer Quest listeners. So thanks, Wayne. I'm sure you're not listening, but thanks anyways. If you happen to find yourself in Las Vegas, check out Wayne's museum and ranch. I can't guarantee you'll get to meet him, but you can hang out in his private plane and see his dozens of peacocks hanging out on the grounds. Now, a moment to thank my patrons. This week I have a jingle for my patron, Christopher Milak. Thanks, Christopher. Christopher Milak is a scientist in Berlin And he focuses his studies on the molecules within your body And within your pets and the trees outside Anything that has life It's called theoretical molecular biophysics Theoretical molecular biophysics Theoretical molecular biophysics If you're interested in becoming a Composer Quest patron, visit patreon.com slash charlie. If you donate at the $3 per episode level, you can get a custom jingle too. Thanks for considering it. Okay, let's get on to my talk with Sam Matla. Well, Sam, thank Thank you for having me on your show. I uh, just wanted to, yeah, say thanks again for that because that's that all good. Cool. Man. Yeah, yeah, it was it was a good discussion. Yeah, 
I guess I, I'd like to start off with a listener question that just came in from Twitter. Sure. Ben Burns was asking, what inspired you to start your site, edmprod.com? Hmm. Uh, thanks for the question, Ben. We have talked a bit on, on email, I think. Uh, what inspired me to start edmprod? It started off as a side project. So the, the whole idea was to... Uh, go full-time into music as an artist and run a blog on the side. So I'd been blogging for many years beforehand and, you know, I thought that running a blog about music production would be a good way to kind of sustain myself while I was building my career as an artist. Anyway, it started off as that and within the space of about two to three weeks, that completely changed and making music kind of became a side project and EDM prod uh, was a full-time thing. What inspired me to start it was, one thing was that there were a lot of music production blogs out there that were good, uh, but a lot of the content was kind of, it lacked the depth or it wasn't comprehensive enough to really help people. So it would be like five tips on this or five tips on how to make your music more interesting. And those posts are good. That can be inspiring, but I, I thought there was, was a good, I suppose, gap in the market for more long-form content that goes in-depth on topics. Uh, plus, I just love writing and teaching, and that was probably the main thing that drove me to start it. Cool. Yeah, I was just uh, checking out one of your older posts today, but you re- retweeted it, um, the Melody Guide Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, the ultimate guide to creating a melody. Yeah, yeah. I'm always, I'm always kind of uh, self conscious of those posts because, to someone like you, <clears throat> uh, you know, who's who's an, more or less an expert on music theory, that post is not in depth in terms of music theory. It's more, it's coming from a, a perspective of, you don't necessarily need music theory to write a good melody. Here's how you hack the process, I suppose. That's not to say you shouldn't learn music theory, but you know, here are some tips that aren't that you might not find in a book on theory, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I I like it though because um, it's an interesting way to think about making melodies too. Mm, it's like mm. like you have your five step process of pick a scale mm. and then like draw a contour that you want to use with that scale. Yeah. And then, or pick a rhythm before that too. And yeah, yeah, that, that's interesting. Cause I, I kind of wonder if like a lot of EDM producers think that way, like visually more so than people who work off a laptop. Yeah, possibly. That's, that's a good question. Well, and I feel like also people don't think of like EDM and techno, maybe as having as much melody yeah. to it. Yeah, 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 Which is interesting because, I mean, then when you went on to analyze melodies, you know, you made a good point that it's it's not always going to be like a vocal melody. It might be the top mm. note of the chords or mm, something like mm. that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it really depends on... Because I don't want to go down a rabbit trail here, but EDM encompasses a lot uh, of different styles of music so 
like techno for example there is a lot of techno out there that doesn't really have a melody and if it does it's it's so subtle that you're not going to remember it but obviously genres like trance and progressive house and deep house and, and stuff like that yeah there's there's almost always a melody in those so mm. some people will say will argue that edm uh doesn't have a melody or it's not music it's, it's easy to generalize like that but it's a very diverse term i'm actually not a huge fan of the term edm but i can't really like it, it's the you name got of your my name business, now so yeah, yeah. <laughs> no it's, it's, it's good to um it's a good acronym but it, it certainly yeah. has its uh its downsides yeah well i don't really know like the nuances of the different styles mm. like within electronic music is there a way you could like kind of quickly explain what makes trance different than house different than okay. like techno <laughs> yeah i can do my best I, I might catch a bit of flack for this because it's kind of subjective how people categorize these these genres of music sure uh i'll just cover the main ones that i think are the, the main genres so not not going to go into any specific sub genres um Trance, in my mind, is very melodic, euphoric. Uh, traditionally, it was quite fast. House is more focused on groove, in my opinion. And it's obviously older. Techno is similar. Techno, I think, traditionally has been very focused, instead of on the compositional side of things, like chord progressions and melodies, much more focused on the soundscape and the sound design and the kind of constant progression of sounds and how they change over time. And I mean, those are the three main ones in my mind. And then you have, you know, Progressive House, which I'm actually not going to try to categorize because it is like, if you compare Progressive House, what was considered Progressive House in like 2002, it is completely different to what's considered progressive house now like i'm i'm talking completely different um hmm. yeah so like traditionally it would have been more closer to maybe techno or deep house um so quite deep sounds quite uh melodic slow stuff you'd listen to in a club or maybe on a beach um and nowadays you know avici this this big melodic big room kind of sound is considered progressive house completely different so yeah, it's a good question but it's very hard to draw lines as to where one genre ends and another starts there's there's a fair bit of crossover too yeah that's always interesting how like the the labels of genres like progressive or like alternative music in the 90s mm, like mm. used to be like edgy but then suddenly it became like kind of mainstream. Yeah. And now yeah. like indie, same thing. Exactly. It seems like. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe we could uh, just launch right into talking about one of your tracks. Sure. Uh, Dolomite. Oh, uh, yeah. 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 Uh, first of all, what is that a rock or something? I think it's, uh, <laughs> I should really know this. I think it's a, a mountain range in Italy. Oh, okay. The Dolomites. Oh, okay. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's kind of where it came from, I believe. But there's nothing special about the name. <laughs> it's just a cool name. 
Yeah. Well, yeah, the thing that stuck out in that song to me was your um, kind of plucky synth that has like mm. this rolling chord feel to mm. it. Mm-hmm. It almost sounded like, since the rhythm's a little bit just like you're rolling a chord, it kind of seems like it's influencing the the beat a little bit, like the mm. beat is delayed. Yeah, or, no, that makes sense. That was probably a subconscious thing, but yeah, I can I can, I can see that, definitely. Pluck Sound is actually from a free sound set, Nigel Good. I'm not sure if you've heard of him. No. Incredible producer. Uh, but that's it, freshysqueezesamples.com. That's a, a free sound set preset pack for Native Instruments Massive. So it's just a tweaked version of that, uh, and it's a fantastic pluck. So I'm assuming you're triggering this with a keyboard or was it, was that more of like a drawing in MIDI scales and stuff? Uh, good question. I, I think it started off with me playing around on the keyboard, uh, but I'm not the best keyboard player. I'll say that. So normally when I'm making music, I will start uh, by jamming around on the keyboard and then I'll try record it in depending on how complex it is. But normally I'll fail completely, so I'll just draw the notes in. <laughs> but it's good for coming up with ideas. Uh, so yeah, that probably started on the keyboard and then I kind of added in a few things from there or made it a bit more clean or tight. Yeah. Do you play any other instruments aside from keyboard? I actually played drums and guitar many years before I got into electronic music production. So I started playing drums when I was 10 and then picked up guitar later on because my brother started playing guitar and I didn't want him to um, <laughs> to get better than me. <laughs> so uh, it was a bit of a competitive thing. But yeah, I, I think knowing how to play those, you know, I didn't realize it at the start, but it does help a lot, especially drums. Like I've noticed some newer producers don't have a sense of timing which is strange when you consider electronic music production because it's so quantized. Like it kind of does it for you. But yeah. I think that helped a lot. Uh, just knowing things like polyrhythms, which can just add another layer of interest to your song. Even things like velocity. You know, if you're programming a snare drum roll and a build up, using velocity properly to make it sound natural is something that, at least for me, has come from knowing how to play drums. Mm. So yeah, I, I think playing an instrument is incredibly beneficial. I think more, I wish more producers would do it because there's something, like there's just something different about playing an instrument compared to plotting a notes on a computer. Like it's more fun to play an instrument in my opinion. Not that uh, making music on a computer isn't fun, but I don't know. 
I think it's nice to get away from the screen for a bit and just muck around on an actual physical thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was um, inspired to like start working on an electronic track last night. Yeah. And uh, I started feeling like uh, I'm, just, I'm going in my regular patterns mm. within Ableton or not being super inspired yeah. um, within yeah. the computer. Yeah. Do you have tips for when that happens, like when you're not inspired? Sure. Uh, I have a lot to say on that, uh, but I'll start simple. I think you make a good point, and this is one of the reasons I recommend producers pick up an instrument because it is, it's very easy to get stuck into this uh, routine, the same pattern of, you know, and I'm guilty of doing it. Uh, I used to do it a lot, like put down a kick drum, put down a bass line, then work on your chord progression or melody. You know, that can work sometimes, but then you inevitably encounter a a rut and it's because you aren't being creative. Uh, playing an instrument obviously changes up the environment so and it forces you to be creative because you're either not in your comfort zone or you're just playing in a completely different, it's just a completely different workflow. Uh, tips for working when not feeling inspired. The first thing I'll say is I don't like the fact that people place so much value on inspiration. And I've talked about this before, but there's a there's a writer called, or author called um, Neil Strauss. I'm not sure if you've heard of him. But no, he he's like a New York Times bestselling author. He's wrote uh, several books. But anyway, he ran this experiment. I think he was doing like a writing workshop. And his goal was kind of to to work out whether writer's block actually existed or not. Uh, and so what he did is he told the class to write one sentence. And anyone can do that. Like, it's not hard to write a sentence. And then he told them to write a second sentence that made the reader feel something. So they did that. And then he told them to write a third sentence that linked back to the first sentence. And every single person in that class managed to do it, and they managed to do it well. So whether writer's block exists or not, I don't know. I don't really care. But if you're a musician or producer or anything, uh, you need to kind of let go of this idea of inspiration because professionals don't place value on it. If you're getting paid to make music, you're going to do it uh, whether you feel like it or not. And this is, I don't want to be harsh, but I think a lot of people mistake like creative block or lack of inspiration for either laziness or tiredness because sometimes I mean every time I've encountered it and I push through like just force myself to make music force myself to hit a few keys on the keyboard something always comes out an idea will always come from that so that's the first thing I'd say like place less value on inspiration and more value on brute force or hard work the second thing is (laughs) if you really want to find inspiration one thing that's helped me a lot is just listening to new music so I like to go onto Spotify and listen to the discover playlist and almost always I'll be you know I'll be doing the dishes or cooking a meal listening to music that I haven't heard before and something will pop out and I'll be like oh that's awesome 
I want to make a track similar to that or I want to incorporate this idea into my next track. Uh, so I think listening to new music helps a lot. And that's about it. <laughs> I mean, there are yeah. 101 things I could add on to that. But those are the two <laughs> things I'd say. Place less value on inspiration. But if you really need to feel inspired for whatever reason, just listen to something new. Yeah. Yeah, I think for me, like part of it when I'm trying to do like a dance track or something, mm. I feel like there's a second layer of uh, requirements sure. that it has to sound cool versus like other music I write. Okay. Maybe I don't care if the melody is cool or not, if it's just like a beautiful melody. Mm. Um, so, and it's obviously like kind of hard to define what cool is, but <laughs> uh, do you like, do you go through a process of like coming up with tons of melodies and then weeding out the ones that seem uncool? <laughs> uh, I, I do, but I should actually do it in a more methodical fashion because what generally happens these days is I'll come up with a few ideas and I'll often develop a few that just aren't like it, it, for me, it's hard to know whether an idea is good just when it's an idea that makes sense so normally i'll spend a couple of days developing it and then i'll be like you know what this isn't actually a good idea it's not a bad idea it's just not good enough and i'll take the one that is good enough and and develop that further but i think that's a really good way to work um i was talking to this girl called cassandra show i think her last name is Uh, but she teaches music theory Uh, to electronic music producers and she was saying like the way she works and the way she encourages other people to work is to lay down 10 ideas just with the piano or piano software instrument vst lay down 10 ideas and at least one of them is going to be good probably more but at least one and then you can work with that one that's hard to do especially for especially if you've been making electronic music and you're stuck in this common workflow which is come up with an idea uh, or a loop and then work on it. It's much more difficult to do, especially because it can kind of be boring when you're only using a piano and you want to move on to the sound design and all the fun stuff, but it pays off big time. Uh, So yeah, I I do kind of work in that way. I should do it more though. Sure. You kind of were saying that a lot of times you start with drums or percussion yeah um, yeah i i not as much as i used to uh i used to start with drums every time i i think maybe that came from the fact that i was a drummer i'm not sure um i think more so it came from the fact that programming drums has always been relatively easy so and i, I think it's a bad idea to start with the easy thing but that's what i did i would start with drums and it worked sometimes and then it stopped working or if it did work I'd end up in the same kind of trap of this song sounds like the last one uh nowadays I tend to try and focus on the compositional side of things first especially because I've I've become more and more attracted to melodic music but if I want to make a song that is really rhythm or groove centric I'll probably start with the drums and the bass line it just depends it depends on the the type of music i want to make and what i feel like on the day but uh i I do try to focus more on the compositional side 
uh, you know, the harmonies and the melody to start with. Sure. Yeah, and I, I feel like if you do start with a groove, sometimes that helps you come up with the melody that fits yeah, that yeah. groove a little better. Definitely, I think. Rather than... Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I will elaborate a bit. I think uh, if you struggle with groove, then I think you should start with that because, like, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm a bit of a productivity geek, but, like, I always think it's a good idea to start with the thing that you find the most challenging because once you've done that, uh, the rest kind of uh, falls into place, comes easy. So that's kind of why I start with the composition. It's not something I do struggle with it. It's more difficult than coming up with the groove. So I know that if I can get a decent chord progression down, I can come up with the groove relatively easily after that. But in the in the world of dance music, a, in my opinion, a groove is more important than a melody. So you know, if that's something that a producer struggles with, they should work on that first and get it nailed and then come up with uh, a melody, which is very important, but in my opinion, secondary to the groove. And again, this comes back to what genre of music you're making. Yeah. Yeah. So what are some specific things you've done in your songs to build up a groove? I mentioned polyrhythms earlier. I, I haven't used them in a lot of my releases, but I really like using polyrhythms just because, I don't know, just because it adds a sense of interest and kind of tension, I think, in a way. I feel like it adds tension. Yeah. Swing. I love using swing. It's easier than ever with, uh, you know, modern digital software. Um, Even if it's just a subtle swing, it, it makes a world of difference in my opinion. And also, just doing things like disabling the grid so in ableton for example in the piano roll you can turn the grid off and just move notes around freely which can be incredibly beneficial as a human element it's a it's like a cliche thing to do but most people think that everything has to be quantized everything has to be exact to the grid which isn't true uh and let's see the kick and bass line, the kick and sub bass especially are the two things that contribute the most to the groove. So early on in the track, I try to get those sorted, both in terms of like programming and also in a mix sense as well. So I, I try not to delve too much into mixing straight away because I feel like it can be detrimental to the compositional and arrangement process. But if the kick and bass aren't talking to each other, if they aren't working well in unison, it's very hard to keep working on the track because it's a constant distraction and you don't have the groove there. So I try to get those mixed down quite nicely to start with and I think it's much easier to build a groove on top of that. Um, so starting with the kick and sub bass or, or low bass line. So uh, in your track Tempest, yep. I thought was really cool. Oh, thanks. Man. And uh, it was a good example of like a pitch sweep effect, mm, mm, mm. like upward shifting pitches.
It's cool because it once you hear that once, you're like constantly waiting for that to happen again where the pitch will rise up on that mm. that rhythm part. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, pitch sweeps are, in my opinion, one of the best ways to add tension. Yeah. What kind of sweeping things can you do in a track? Oh, uh, it's kind of funny because I'm actually writing a blog post on on this at the moment, uh, tension and energy in particular. But what kind of sweeping things you can do? I mean, there, there are many things you can do. Uh, white noise, just a simple white noise sweep is, is always great. Most people think about the long eight bar white noise sweep. But you can have like a half bar sweep or like even a you know a full bar sweep, which is short and contributes quite a lot to tension. I like doing those. Obviously you've got your you know your pitch rises. And and here's a thing. This is interesting. I was doing some study on this the other day. A lot of producers will make say a sixteen eight or sixteen bar riser that goes up in pitch, typically up in octave or two up 24 semitones or 12. But what's interesting is that going up 24 semitones instead of 12 doesn't necessarily add more tension. A lot of people think, you know, the higher the pitch, the more tension will be added. That's true in some cases, but apparently not according to the study I was reading. So you can actually, if you want to create immense tension and dissonance, you could go up like two semitones or eight or nine uh, instead of just going up an octave. Yeah. I mean, I suppose you could even get tension out of just like rising up a half step. Absolutely. And I, yeah, I think it adds more tension to be honest, because like, if you think about it, if you go from an E to an F on the keyboard, that's dissonant. Like that's, what's that? A minor, minor second? Minor second. Yep. Yeah. One of the most dissonant intervals, so it kind of makes sense if you're going from that pitch to the next one up a semitone. It's bound to add more tension. Yeah, it'd be interesting to try like going from E to F over sixteen bars <laughs> to see if anyone like what's the perception level. Yeah, I wonder that would be interesting. I'm, I'll or have to try that. People just think you don't know how to tune an instrument. Yeah, that that said <laughs> though the the just the presence of actually having a pitch, like the presence of a note apparently adds tension as well. Um, this study, just for people who want to read it, it is um, a parametric temporal model of musical tension. It's very in-depth, and I certainly haven't read all of it, but I don't know. If you're interested in that kind of stuff, how music intersects with psychology, super interesting. Cool. Yeah, I'll... Well, I'll have a link to that in the notes. Awesome. I liked your video that was how to make a Beatport chart topper. <laughs> <laughs> Just totally serious tone, uh, but pretty tongue-in-cheek video. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, guys, I'm going to show you how to uh, chart on Beatport. You're probably getting the top 10, um, if not number one. And 
basically what you got to do is get a kick, a nice kick, um, with a lot of tail. Has to be an 808. Um, or you can just sample it from any other song that's in the top 10. They probably won't notice. It sounds the same. Um, once you've done that, make sure it's loud enough. You want it hitting at about 0 dB. But yeah, that's good enough for now. Probably turn that up later. That was, it was actually supposed to be a tutorial to start with. And it was quite early on, like when I started EDM Prod and I was like, oh, I need to make a, a video tutorial. So I was like, oh, I'll teach people how to make a, one of those big room kicks because they're popular at the moment. And I don't know, I was just having a bad day or something <laughs> and I got fed up completely. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to make a joke and made it in 10 minutes chucked it up on youtube without any expectation of it really going viral like i thought oh it'd be cool if it did but it probably won't and then like dead mouse tweeted it or something and it just went it went all over the internet um <laughs> and it's just one thing we have to do to finish it which is uh limit it so Yeah, minus 10 gain reduction is pretty solid for something like this. If you don't do that, um, you're just not going to make it because it's not loud enough. What are your thoughts on like using those kind of sounds that are like very ubiquitous in like construction kits? Um, for the for people who don't know what that is, it's like a template designed with sounds mm. that you can use and mess around with yeah uh there there's a lot of kind of division over this in the production community i and you can't really draw an objective line i think using presets and samples is absolutely fine not only is it fine i think it's actually beneficial because it takes time to design your own sounds and if if your goal is to just make good music it's not actually necessary i I can't remember the last time I designed a patch from scratch for, for a song. Um, I normally take presets and tweak them so they fit. So presets I have no trouble with. One-shot synth samples and bass samples I don't have a problem with either. Uh, construction kits is where it gets a little bit... Uh, it's not black and white anymore for me. I don't. I think it's okay using like a a simple synth line from a construction kit but if you're using like a full melody or, or a drum loop nothing with drum loops but if you're using like a full melody to me i mean i'm not going to call anyone out on it especially if they manage to make a good song but i wouldn't do that personally just because i feel like it's i mean it's not fully cheating but it's kind of just taking the easy road and if you make a full song with construction kit you know with each stem yeah, I don't have much respect for people who do that. I think that's basically the same as downloading the template and just calling it your own. I think construction kits are good for educational purposes, uh, good for practicing arrangement and mixing and stuff like that. I don't think they should be used as a foundation for a full song. Uh, but that's just me. And someone can make an argument to the contrary. But what do you think? Uh well, I, d I think uh, in copyright rules, like the melody is 
really the thing that is copyrighted. Um, so obviously, and like the construction, the construction kit, kits. Well, that I I was gonna say I'm not sure that they would have any. Uh, yeah, they're giving away for free. So, <laughs> but just the fact that people consider melody like the one unique thing. Yeah. I don't know. I, I know for me, like if I was to do that, I, I just wouldn't feel as satisfied. Like I wouldn't feel like I've really made the song, if that makes sense. Yeah. If I haven't made the melody. Um, but then again, like there have been songs like Steve Angelo, I think made a song called Nass. And the baseline in that is literally a stem from a, a vengeance sample pack. And it's the full baseline. Like it's just an audio file and that song did really well and it's actually a good song. So, you know, Hmm. obviously it it can work, but I think relying on them is just bad. That's not a good idea at all. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, on the other hand, if you can make something cool surrounding uh, some loop or something like that, that, that's a good way to practice too, for sure. Absolutely. And at the end of the day, like you still have to arrange the track. You still have to mix it down uh, and so forth. So if you take one loop, it's not like, sure, some people might notice, but you've still done the hard work to to turn it into a full track. Yeah. I remember actually one of the first tracks I made was just using a garage band MIDI loop. <laughs> mm. But what I... Same. Yeah. What I did to kind of like, change it up was i i copied and pasted it you know like 10 times yeah and then i yeah. gradually changed one note each time one or two notes in each loop to give it like a progression Yeah, I think MIDI construction kits can be really helpful. Like one or two times I think I've used them as a starting point. And it can be really helpful if you struggle with composition or struggle to make a chord progression because you can analyze them. You can move chords around to make it your own. So I'll ask you the standard interview question. Sure. Where where do you see yourself in five years? Oh, uh, you know what? I I absolutely hate this question. <laughs> I was talking to someone the other day, actually, and I asked him the same question and they're just like, Oh man. And I was like, you know what? I hate that question. I just wanted to ask it to to feel a bit better about myself. Anyway, <laughs> where do I see myself in five years? Wow. um (sighs) in an ideal world it's really hard to tell there are so many variables involved but assuming things go the way they're going edm probably will be much bigger than it is hopefully have a team of people um just contributing more to the electronic music production community and maybe running a few events not like festivals or concerts or anything, but like conferences or workshops. Uh, 
myself as an artist, more developed, obviously, and maybe doing some, I'd love to get into production work, like for artists, uh, so behind the scenes kind of stuff, that really interests me. Cool. And yeah, but hey, it could be completely different. We, I don't know. Yeah. We'll see what happens. Better to not know anyways. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Cool. You can only plan so much. Yeah. So are you, what? what is your day like, your average day? Uh, okay. It's, I mean, it varies, but at the moment I'm, I, I try to wake up quite early, uh, six or seven and start reading a book for about half an hour. Sometimes uh, music, about music, sometimes about business, just depends. And after that, I'll start working. Normally, it's, as I mentioned before, you know, starting with the hardest thing when making music, I try to start the day with the most difficult thing, um, which will normally be writing or thinking about something like coming up with questions for an interview or something like that. I try to produce for at least one hour per day. That's kind of an immutable rule of mine. doesn't always happen, but it's like a, it's a goal to produce at least one hour every day just to keep things ticking over uh, and writing, responding to emails. Um, I mean, that's about it. I try to stand up and get up from my desk once in a while so I don't, you know, end up with a terrible back when I'm 40 years old. <laughs> uh, <laughs> actually, I, I don't know if you've looked into this, but I, I'm thinking of getting a standing desk. Oh, yeah. I've been, I've been stacking up my laptop on... Um, like two boxes so it's at perfect height <laughs> it's really good it's uh it's tiresome but it's good i just was at mm. ikea and saw they have desks that you can like automatically raise and lower oh uh, yeah yeah <laughs> that would be, be awesome. awesome if i had the money yeah but yeah, exactly. <laughs> um your podcast the edm podcast mm-hmm. what have you learned from guests on that and from talking with your co-hosts, mm. like what, what's been some of the most valuable things for you? I think one thing that sticks out is like, there are a lot of things that people agree on, but almost always there'll be something, a particular piece of advice that differs from everyone else. So like I, I interviewed um, Andrew Apinov, who is like a marketing consultant. He runs a, an agency and does a ton of other stuff. Incredibly hardworking man. Uh, but he, like I was always of the position or opinion that producers shouldn't promote their music until they've reached a certain level of skill. And I asked him, you know, when should producers start promoting their music? And he said, as soon as possible, because learning how to market your music takes a lot of time. So you might as well start early. Hmm. That's what I, I like most about interviewing people, to get those little nuggets of advice that are, normally have been developed over time or like have been discovered by that person instead of just from a book. Uh, what else have I learned? I think most of the, the learning would be subconscious in the sense that it's stuff I pick up that I don't know I've picked up. Yeah. Which means I can't, yeah, I can't tell you what it is. <laughs> yeah. Well, Sam, do you have any last production tips that you want to share? Like, Maybe like one production tip that people always ask about. Sure. Um, 
I love giving this answer, but I think a lot of people don't like it because it's it's kind of like the answer that you know is good for yourself, but you just don't want to hear. Uh, the best way to get better at production is producing, but the second best way is to listen to music. And by listen, I mean actually analyze. So like I get questions all the time about how do I transition into a build-up? How do I, I, uh, I don't know how to fill in my track or my arrangement with little things that make it sound more interesting. With problems like that, the best way to overcome them is to use professionally produced uh, tracks as references and analyze them, look at how they transition into the build-up, look at how that producer uh, fills in their music and copy or at least uh, draw influence from it. I've done that over the years. It's helped immensely and you learn a ton of stuff. So that would be my number one production tip is listen attentively to music, analyze it, and you'll learn more than you could ever imagine. Yeah. That reminds me of another question I wanted to ask. Sure. Um, Is like, how do you decide how long a breakdown will be? (laughs) Because uh, that seems like it would be tough if you're if you want your track to be on the dance floor. Yeah, like having long breakdowns. Yeah, I, I don't know how that works. I've never, I haven't yeah, really it's, it's not, DJed or yeah. anything. So it's not something I've I've ever thought about consciously. I think um, you'll know if your breakdown is too long or too short. And I think again, it, it is very genre specific. If you're making like you know peak time bangers, then you don't want your breakdown to be too long because i won't get into that but the attention span wait, wait so what forth. did you call it bangers oh that's hey. that's what the kids use oh okay <laughs> uh yeah but if it's like a a trance track for example like traditionally they have long breakdowns it's not something i i think like oh my breakdown needs to be this long like it kind of just happens i, I guess um yeah, good question, yeah. but I'm not sure I can give a, a defined answer. Sure. What is the music scene like in Wellington? <laughs> um, non-existent. <laughs> oh, no. No, well, it's Wellington used to have, as far as I know, used to have quite a lively drum and bass scene because there was a club called Sandwiches, which was very popular, one of the best in New Zealand but it had to get shut down because of it wasn't earthquake proof or something. And Wellington is like, we get a lot of earthquakes. We're very prone to earthquakes. I think it lives on a fault line. So that was closed down. And over the years, like it's, it's kind of died down. Um, there've been some good artists. I played at a trance gig once, but few and uh, far and few in between or however you say it. So yeah, it would be nice to have more, of a music scene down here i mean that's that's dance music i i'm sure there's like a a jazz scene or something like that but even then i'd be surprised if you're planning on moving to wellington for music i would advise against it (laughs) (laughs) there aren't many opportunities uh but hey i'm not the most uh knowledgeable person on that so sure i could be wrong well thank goodness for the internet exactly so (laughs) i mean i think there's there's definitely value in in in-person connecting and networking which is kind of a downside to living in or near a city that doesn't have those kind of people but you know 
you can always yeah. move. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Or make your own scene. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Because I'm sure there's people that. out in every city who are interested in this stuff, but just takes a lot just, of work. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Cool. Well, well, Sam, it's time for your question from my last guest. Sure. Because uh, I have a question chain going. That's cool. <laughs> so I interviewed three guys at High Five Games. They make music for slot machines. Oh, cool. So Jonathan Roberts asked, think of your favorite song you've written. If someone were to make visuals for that, what would they be? Oh, man. That's one of the most tough questions I've ever been asked. Ah, <laughs> uh, um, okay. This is quite, <laughs> it's actually kind of easy to answer. The My latest release uh, with Monoverse Collider, visuals for that would be like two planets colliding together. That would be awesome. <laughs> cool. Yeah. <laughs> What did you learn from collaborating with Monoverse? Uh, I learned that project files get big very quickly. And (laughs) (laughs) uh, no, I I think it was, it was good. But one major takeaway was like releasing on labels can take a long, long time, especially if that label has a high standard of quality control. So like, Fortunately, and I feel a little bit guilty, but Santos Monoverse handled a lot of that side of things, like the back and forth with Daniel Candy, who runs Always Alive. Uh, you know, just a lot of tweaks had to be made and just things that, you know, because we thought the track was done when we sent it off. Hmm. But he comes back saying, oh, the the synths need to be a little bit brighter, stuff like this. And, and when you're like, this is a good thing because it forces you to, um, like it's objective feedback it forces you to look at your music differently when you're self-releasing it's much more difficult to get that kind of feedback and there's no kind of pressure on a i mean there's some pressure but not as much on having a super high standard of, of quality so that's one thing i took away from it i think and i think just collaborating is is super fun it's good on both a creative level and promotional slash marketing level as well you know using both audiences to feed into each other yeah so like when when you brought that track to the label had you guys mastered it already or do you just kind of do that yourselves um so the the label masters it before final release uh okay yeah 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 that almost always happens 
unless it's a small, like a small label and they can't afford to do mastering. So they master it. I, I think, I'm not sure I'd have to ask Santos, but I think it may have had a limiter on it or something before it was sent off. Uh, but it wasn't mastered. Sure. Uh, yeah, you don't need, you don't generally don't need to master anything before you send it into a label. And sometimes they prefer that you don't. Cool. Do you have a question for my next guest? Uh, I knew this was coming. <laughs> no, they, <laughs> I didn't know you had a question chain going on. If I did, then uh, I would have written one down. Um, let's see. What's one trick that you haven't picked up from a book or article or video resource or anything like that? What's one trick that you discovered by yourself that you're comfortable sharing? with the the audience can be a compositional trick or anything like that cool good question so what uh, future topics do you have for the podcast uh for the talk show future topics the next one is going to be on focus and like trying to manage your time in production sessions as a producer we're getting a lot of questions uh, via email about that so i thought it would be good to cover that especially because a lot of people you know have full-time jobs like i was talking to one guy who is like you know i have a full-time job i have a wife and kids and i have pets (laughs) how do i find time to make music and i i just like i don't know like (laughs) i've never been in that situation but you know there are certain things you can do to optimize your music making time and, and increase focus and stuff like that so that's the next topic as for future topics, I mean, always open to suggestions. So, Cool. So that's at edmprod.com. People yep. can find that. And any other things you'd like to plug? Sure. Uh, shameless, I have to plug my, my book. So that's getworkflowbook.com, uh, the producer's guide to workflow and creativity. It's all about overcoming creative blocks, uh, finishing music, and so forth it's directed at dance music producers but i've had um musicians buy it and they've said that uh, it's been certainly been helpful um, so it is quite general in that sense uh twitter at edm prod and if you want to ask me any questions that aren't really related to music production or you just want to have a chat at sam matler on twitter as well cool uh, and one other tradition on the podcast is that I challenge my guests to come up with a little intro theme music yeah. for the show. So if you have time. Yeah, man. Cool. Well, well, thanks, Sam, for coming on the podcast. No problem, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining me for this episode of Composer Quest with Sam Matla. For Sam's personal music, visit soundcloud.com slash sammatla, and that's spelled M-A-T-L-A. Also, Sam just posted the article on tension and energy he was talking about. He describes micro and macro tension, as he calls it, to explain how to get listeners hooked at key moments in your song and throughout the whole song. Check it out at edmprod.com slash tension. Our question of the week is... What do you do to create tension in your music? I think this is a key question that I haven't really addressed as much as I should in my own music. So let's continue this conversation at forum.composerquest.com. 
By the way, thanks to those of you who have jumped on the forum already. It's fun hearing your answers to all these questions of the weeks. I'll leave you now with the breakdown section of Sam Matla's track Tempest, and try doing some analyzing of your own. What techniques does Sam use to build back up to the final energy level? Jump in.